pushing through obstacles and hard times in order to live a happy and fulfilled life. I'm your host, Ted Fayton, and it's a pleasure to have you joining us. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's grow. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It's always a pleasure. And of course, as always, shout out to my executive producer, Andre Suttles, Suttles Solution Media, for helping to make this podcast possible as well. Excited to share this story with you. I'm excited to share this journey with you on the call right now. Joining me is the author of upcoming book, Dear Riley Rose, Carolyn Rose. Thank you so much for joining us out of South Texas today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. And I know we've kind of warmed up already and had a great start to our discussion. And I want to make sure that our listeners and the audience can kind of get acquainted with you as well. So please, the floor is yours. Feel free to introduce yourself. Thank you. Well, again, I'm thrilled to be here. I adore your podcast. I love everything that you're doing. So this is a big, big honor. So thank you. I think in a nutshell, I'm passionate about spreading hope. And I think that especially now after the past year and a half, I think people are really seeing the need for hope across the board, everybody in many different forms. And well, I hoped for something and that didn't happen. I wanted my father to live and he didn't or whatever it might be. And I say, it's not that hope is a guaranteed outcome. Hope can change forms and it's learning how to trust that everything is going to just be okay. And I can say that because I'm a survivor of stage four incurable cancer that I've had three different times and I'm not supposed to be here. My doctors are sounded, but I'm here. And it's not that I'm here to talk about myself or my story or how I did it. It's more of that I get it. I was there. I was at the rock bottom. I know it feels like. So I'm qualified to be able to say, no, my outcome was not what I'd hoped. I deal with many side effects. I struggle with many things still. My life is not what I thought, but it is messier and more beautiful than I could have ever imagined it being. Yeah. And I know for so many of us, the storms always tend to come at the worst time, right? And mm-hmm kind of bringing the meteorology into it, usually on a nice sunny day when those beautiful big white clouds start to puff up is when the storm starts to develop. So it's almost when things are going good that you really get the worst storms. In your situation, you were in the best shape of your life. Correct me if I'm wrong. You just came off of your fastest time on a marathon and you're getting ready to travel to Africa. Yes. And this is how the diagnosis was found. Because like you mentioned before, you weren't even supposed to be getting checked out. Talk about the scenario that had you getting your blood checked in the first place. And then the immediate response after kind of realizing what was discovered. It's crazy you said that because my memory of the day I was diagnosed was the crystal clear blue sky. I was living in Los Angeles at the time. And I'd flown back to my hometown of San Antonio, Texas. And I love that time of year in Texas and it was cool and crisp and it was just the most gorgeous day when you wake up and it's just you the whole day ahead of every possibility right two days before Thanksgiving and just the excitement. I'm young, I'm 27. I'm in the best shape of my life. My brother and I had a plan to go climb Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa over Christmas. So about a month out and before going, my dad had us go do blood work. And before we got vaccines, you have to do before traveling to Africa or I'd gone to get the blood work that morning and the results came back fairly quickly. And they called me immediately thinking there'd been a mistake because my plate 
platelets were at a life-threatening level. It was red flags all over the place. So I went back, repeated, and it was the same. So it very quickly led to a day that I'd never, ever in my wildest dreams imagined getting the vaccines and getting ready for my Africa trip. I ended up in a hematologist office and the following morning in surgery to remove a lymph node and that biopsy confirmed it was a highly aggressive, incurable form of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Wow. I know immediately following, you weren't quick to kind of just be like, okay, how do you process that? Because a lot of people process things differently, especially when your life gets turned around so Mm -hmm. abruptly, so quickly, and so jarringly, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's usually a lag time to adjust with that. If we're in a car that kind of left turn, our body sways right. And it takes us a second to get to where the car is. So absolutely that transition afterwards in terms of going through that process of acceptance. I think that my body immediately knew. I remember feeling ill, nauseous, just tight. But mentally, I think back then I was so disconnected from my body. I was a marathoner. I was in med school. I was pushing. I think my body was begging me to slow down, but I just wasn't listening to my body. So I had my mind and I had my body. I think my body knew immediately and it was terrified. My mind was in total denial. Yes, real, if that's what the doctors say, but it wasn't real. It was more of a, okay, what do I have to do? And how are we going to do this? After the first week went by and we'd done all the testing to determine how widespread is this and what, what do we need to do? And it came back that it was stage four. It was everywhere. It was in stomach, spleen, bone marrow. Hmm. That sunk in a little bit more. But the honest answer to this question, I think it took years to really grasp and understand and come to terms with what it really was, because it's like survival mode. You can't really think about it and you can't really go there because you just have to keep going is probably the way we protect ourselves. We can't really stop and look around and let the emotion of it sink in because it's too heavy. Keep taking steps forward, whether that was the healthy way or not, it was the, what I had to do. And really it was probably a couple years after my third battle with the cancer where I could sort of take a breath and just kind of start to say, what just happened and where am I now? I realized I had to do that because it was preventing me from really living my life and really being able to open up to my husband, my kids, my family. I had to sort of unguard myself or let down some walls. And that was incredibly scary to do. Oh, yeah. Was there any point in the thick of it? And I know there's sometimes when we're in the thickest and the heaviest rain in the brunt of our story where there might just be like a little glimmer of that sunlight. Yes. Like the eye of the storm where it's so clear. I'm interested in to know like if there was any point along the way that you saw that did give you hope. And usually it's that little glimmer we hold on that helps us make it through the rest. I'm interested to know if there was a moment like that. I call it my nurse Jan. It was in the middle of my second bone marrow transplant. I, at the time, had a two-year-old and a six-month-old. And I had been diagnosed for the third time when my daughter was two and my son was five weeks. So really... His whole life had been mom in pretty sick in treatments. And at that point, I'd had to go into the hospital for about two months. In and of itself was almost unbearable. And having been through a bone marrow transplant, I thought I knew what I was getting into with doing it again. But this one was a different protocol, different plan, different medicines, different chemos, all of it. And it literally almost killed me. I could have never prepared myself for this. It was about halfway through. I'm emotionally really done. Physically, I'm pretty much done. My blood counts were 0.0. I had nothing that I was holding on to. And my husband slept next to me on the Murphy bed in the hospital room at night. 
And I remember waking up one day and it was towards the end of all the chemo and they come in early, like 4.30 in the morning to hang the chemo because they want it to be complete by the time the doctors to make their rounds. And I'll never forget Nurse Jan coming in and she was covered head to toe because they have to be so careful not to bring a germ in. So it's a hazmat suit and she has this chemo bag and I could just see her eye hazmat hood. And I just shook my head. I was done. And my husband's next to me begging me, you have to keep going. And I look over and I see the pictures of my kids, I see the picture of my dog. And I'm so aware of them being there out there in the world somewhere. But I was so far gone that it wasn't even enough for me at that point. And I call it my nurse jam moment because probably given me some sort of medication to make me go to sleep and hang the chemo. And that would be that. Jan understood the importance of me agreeing. And it was not just agreeing to that chemo, it was agreeing to stay in this battle because she knew that that was the only way that I was really going to make it. She kind of sat down on the bed and she lifted her mask and I looked at her eyes and took 20, 30 minutes. And it was just, Caroline, I need you to say yes. I need you to say yes. And I was too weak to talk. I was too weak to lift my head. I was too weak to do anything. And she held one hand and my husband was holding the other. And she just said, Caroline, I just need you to squeeze my hand. That's all I need. I thought back to this moment so many times because the question is, why did I ultimately squeeze her hand? And it would be great if I could say, because the kids or my husband or whatever, I think it was truly the only reason I squeezed that hand was just I had a glimmer of hope. And I don't know what that hope was. It wasn't clearly defined in that moment. I just had a nugget of hope. And that was enough to squeeze Shan's hand, to hang the chemo, to get through another minute, hour, day, week that eventually just led me to where I am now. That's amazing. I wrote down a question for the listeners and the viewers, you know, who is your nurse Jan? Because the fact that you mentioned she sat there and, and said, I need you to say yes. So many times just by going above and beyond, by kind of not going against the book. I don't think what she did was against the book, but like you mentioned, she didn't have to, but I think she showed you care. And lifting the mask and having that human connection, I think that's so important for us as people to have that connection and to have that ability to make eye contact with someone else. And even while we're sitting on the Zoom, it's been such a lifesaver for so many people throughout the pandemic to have this connection that they weren't able to have physically. Yes, nothing can replace that physical touch, but in a spot where we're forced to be so this can kind of close that gap. When that glimmer of hope settled in, moving forward, what was that process like? Because I can only imagine bone marrow transplants, chemo and being in the hospital and really kind of just taking things day by day. And, and my short stint in the hospital was two weeks. I remember waking up like, oh man, innocent man's prison. Everybody's like, how long have you been in? What are you in for? And when are you going to get out? But there's also this feeling of like, oh, again, how did you take that hope and run with it? For me, there were really two parts to this. I think that as I mentioned, getting a little bit further out and really being able to kind of stop and think about things and process things, be real about what had happened, good, the bad and the ugly. When I sort of open up to people a little bit, it was incredible what they respond and their answers. And it was this realization that we all have something. Mine happened to be a cancer that I fought. Some people struggle with depression. I had friends going through a divorce. I had friends that were unable to have a family. Everyone has something. 
the coolest thing to me was shared connection in humanity when we're really honest about the struggle. It's like we all have fill in your blank that we all struggle and you can't measure pain. It's not like I had more pain than you did. We felt pain and that's pain. It sort of inspired me to talk a little bit more or write a little bit more. And the other part to this was unique. And my favorite part of the whole thing was I rescued a dog and he was being put down that day. He'd been horribly abused. This dog had no reason to trust. And I had no reason to bring a dog home and healed him for about eight months, kind of rehabilitated him, strengthened him. And he learned to trust. And he was never angry. He was never bitter. He was never aggressive. He was scared but he was never angry at humans after all they'd put him through. This dog became larger than life being and the people that he impacted, the places he went, he ended up becoming a medical service dog for me. So he went everywhere. He went to Disneyland with us. He went to school. He went on the airplane. So he was around a lot of people. After he passed, the stories that came to us, the letters we received of what he had done for people. And I just couldn't not think of the hope that that dog had always. He never lost hope. And that's why his life was what it was. And he never lost trust. His story was so big and so magical. I felt needed to be told. And they kind of are so hand in hand that it kind of just kept propelling me forward to do a little bit more talking or a little bit more writing. The responses that were coming back, it was pretty humbling. And this is Riley. This is the one and only. (laughs) (laughs) Would you say that Riley's hope gave you hope? Yeah, he was. I still tear up when I talk about him. My kids are like, oh, mom, there she goes again. Riley's hope was so pure. It was so broken. He couldn't walk because he'd been kept in a tiny cage for the first 11 months of his life. Well, really until I found him, he had burn marks. He was emaciated. And I just think from his perspective, being in a cage, that's all he knew of life. But yet he still hoped there was something better, even in his dog's mind. For me, I say that as humans, we're imperfect. We try to do the best we can, but we hurt each other. And we don't mean to all the time, but we do. And we come up short. And there we just, over time, we have cracks in our heart from people, from the struggle, from living, from life. And the dog's love comes in and it just fills those cracks. It sort of cements our heart back together because the dog's love is just so unconditional and so pure and loyal and trusting and loving. And it's this model. It's like this perfect model for love and hope and trust. And he was that constant reminder for me and that he taught it to my kids. And I think that it was what I needed when I didn't even know I needed it. I needed a being to be around where I didn't have to be okay. I didn't have to talk. I didn't have to smile. I didn't have to be in mom mode. If I felt horrible, I could feel horrible with Rye and that was okay with him. If I was sad, I could be sad because I was so aware of what I'd put my family through and my kids through, my friends through for so many years. I wanted to be okay for them. So I tried very hard to be okay, but I never had to with Riley. He just took me exactly how I was in that moment. Wow. That's amazing. Isn't it amazing how much it can mean to someone to just be able to, you don't have to change anything. You don't have to act like anything or be anybody like you mean mom mode or for the men listening to dad mode or the friend mode, just being able to be there and just be. What is hope to you? I know we all can probably see a little different, but what do you define hope as? I think I define hope as believing and trusting 
things will be okay. And what I mean by that is earlier, I'd kind of said, sometimes hope doesn't turn out the way we want it to. And last year, my uncle was very ill and we went to the hospital and I'm with my cousins and they were filled with hope that he would live. We were all living on hope and he didn't survive. I saw this whole transformation their hope just shifted. It immediately, without them even realizing it, there were no pep talks involved. There was no talking myself through it. Their hope shifted onto their children, my uncle's legacies and this thing. And it's just become the most beautiful story of hope. And now they're hoping it never leaves. It changes shape. It changes form. It's trusting that things will be okay. It's not going to look the way we want it to look. Mine looks nothing. I thought I'd be a surgeon. I thought I'd still be running marathons. I didn't know if I'd be married or have kids. And I have those and none of that. But it's what it's meant to be. And it's going to be okay. I live with the fear that I may not live another day. I'm so highly aware of mortality. And any of us could be, God forbid, hit by a bus tonight. But I'm so aware of how quickly things can change. And I'm so aware of my high risk of a secondary cancer developing. And I'm so aware that I most likely won't have a long lifespan. But I manage that by saying, it's going to be okay. My kids will be okay. My husband will be okay. It's not going to be the way I wanted it. But I am so filled with hope that it will turn out even better than I could have ever imagined, whatever that is, because that's what keeps me going. And that's what allows me to release the fear that otherwise would consume me. That's amazing because I think so many people listening and not to be morbid or what, I remember there was a question this lady was asked once and she had cancer. The person asked, you know, what is it like knowing one day you're going to die? And her response was, well, what is it like pretending like you're not? And I think the reality is we are all in the same boat in terms of when you mention the pain you feel and the pain I feel might not be different, but it's still pain to us. And I make light of a lot of situations. I always laugh and joke and you know, people are like, hey, Ted, how's life going? It's going good. Can't take it too seriously. I don't know anyone that's gotten out of it alive. We so much weight yeah. on our every day that we forget to be, live and enjoy and hope. And we let these situations occupy our mind for way too long and rob us from the experiences and the joy that we could have. So to your point and some credit to your mission and everything you're doing to spread hope because it can really improve so many people's lives. How can the listeners and I and all of us give a little hope to someone? How can we spread that and be there for the ones that we love? I've heard some people say, well, you can't do hope. You have to work. You can't just hope it's going to happen. You got to go make it happen. And I actually agree with that. I think we're talking about different things. I think that the hope that you and I are talking about right now is so much deeper. It's almost like a spiritual philosophy that we're living by. And it's not that we're not setting goals and it's not trying to make this moment the best that we can. I think that we're doing what we can and we're letting the rest go. And whether it worked out or it didn't, we have to just let it go and move on to the next and kind of be in the moment. That would be my answer to your question. What we could do, what we could encourage others to do is just try to be in the moment because this is what counts. And it's so easy to be consumed with what's coming up tomorrow, next week, next year, or really in the past. Can't believe I did that. Or we carry this stuff with us. I go back to Riley, dogs live in the moment. That's all they're capable of doing. I think that brings a real peace being here. We're here. We're safe. Right now, we are all okay. And it's just that simple. It's that reminder. We can give that to others. Animals can give that to people. And humans can give it to other humans. You are good. I'm good. We're good. This is all good. Because it just brings it down. It's so crazy. And sometimes it's simplifying and it's being okay. 
Oh, that's so perfect. Because I would say to those folks who say, well, you can't just hope it or whatnot. It's the start that stops most people. Sometimes they don't start because they don't have the hope. When you mentioned simplifying it, that's back to Nurse Jan, where you couldn't talk. You couldn't even think of another bag and hanging up the next day, everything to follow. But Nurse Jan, squeeze my hand and simplified it to something small. And that small inception of that hope is sometimes what incites the action that leads to an outcome. One thing I will add to that that I just thought of is you're right. Nurse Jan is such an amazing example because when we're thinking about how to help others around us or give them hope or whatnot, sometimes I noticed that some of the darkest times, some people were really kind of scared to reach out. And we've talked about this so much since with my friends. I would say they commonly felt like we didn't know what to say. We didn't know what to do. We were sure. I understand. If you see someone that's struggling with whatever it may be, there is something so beautiful about doing something so simple for them, whether it's a three-word text or squeezing their hand or just being with them. I'm just going to be in the other room with a book. If you need anything, let me know, but you don't even have to be for them in the littlest, smallest ways really mean everything. We are nervous sometimes. Well, we're going to overstep or we are going to intrude or they they may not want us around, but they really might need you. Just the simplest of ways, that's what you remember. I mean, that's the stuff that makes such a difference. And if we all make a little bit of that difference, it's pretty gorgeous, the result. I mean, it's incredible what happens. Yeah, that's amazing because you imagine you hear things of people feeling lonely in a crowded room and you can have two people living in the same house, having two completely different experiences because they're not being together. So it's connection, it's that bridge that really kind of lets the person feel seen and, and lets them feel they're actually being. As we're coming to our time here, Dear Riley Rose, it's coming out soon. A lot of the listeners hopefully are probably thinking to themselves, okay, when is it out? Where's the link? What's something you hope people take away from the book? I hope they find it relatable. I never wanted to write a story about me and my cancer journey, which is why it's a big love letter to Riley. And Riley was my rescue dog. And I hope that they take away the importance of really fully trusting life and really allowing ourselves to be vulnerable. Because I think being really deeply vulnerable is the most courageous thing we could possibly do because we're putting it all out on the line when we do that. I hope that Riley's journey and our journey together kind of a little bit of an example of beautiful things that can happen when we allow ourselves to go there. Carolyn Rose, the author of the upcoming book, Dear Riley Rose, also mom, a dog, cancer, hope. That was kind of the heading I saw on your social. How can folks connect with you, follow up with you, and keep an eye out for when the book drops? On Instagram and Facebook, it's Dear Riley Rose. And the website is Dear Riley Rose. And you can message me through any of those. I'd be thrilled to hear from anybody. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing with us today. Thank you for sharing your story, being vulnerable, and hopefully helping the listeners and delivering just a little bit of hope for us today. Thank you so much. It was incredible being here. Thank you so much. An absolute pleasure. And thank you for listening to the podcast. Feedback is amazing. To the listeners at home, I'm going to recap some of what Carolyn said along with her story to help punch some things for you guys. In terms of spreading hope, it's such a beautiful thing. And when she mentioned the first moment of diagnosis being in the best shape of her life, just coming off the fastest time of her marathon and mentioning that the body and mind might not have been connected. So once that diagnosis happened, she thinks her body knew, but her mind did it. 
that's so true for so many of us who go day in and day out, not listening to our bodies and focusing on one or the other, just because something doesn't hurt doesn't mean something's not wrong. If we take care of ourselves, take care of the mind, the body, the soul, the spirit, and really try and tap into being and being present and understanding what it is you're feeling. The Nurse Jan moment, an amazing moment and something I think we all can look back at and find a moment in our lives where somebody to make a connection or gone out of their way to give us a little push, whether it was a parent, a friend, or even a stranger that just helped us a little bit to find our hope in a moment of darkness. Who is your nurse Jan? And even more importantly, who are you going to be a nurse Jan for? Because there's so much of that that's needed as Carolyn continues to be that for so many people and share that. Also, we all have something. We can't measure our pains, our struggles with someone else's. We all know that our struggles are unique to us and that empathy and just reaching out and understanding is the best thing we could do for someone else and being in the moment, being present and maybe even simplifying things for folks to help them get to that next level and help them find that inspiration and that spark of hope. I hope you guys to pick up the book, enjoy the book and get to follow up with Caroline Rose. And thank you again for sharing this time with us, Caroline. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. And to the listeners that made it to the end, thank you for rocking with us on this call. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please give us a rating, give us some feedback, let us know how we're doing and also subscribe to the podcast where you can catch an episode each and every single week. Share this with a friend that you think could use that little glimmer of hope in their lives and you think that can really benefit from this episode. We always know if you love it so much and you want to support monetarily, be sure to join our Patreon page where you can get extra content and audio from our guests for as little as $1 a month. Thank you so much for making it to the end. And as we always say at the end of the episode, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without a little pain. 